You're listening to Hey, welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Mervin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. It is the middle of July, which means once again it's time to go over the latest Asian American book and publishing news. Um, Rira, how has your July been going? It's been going okay. I can't believe it's July already. Like, summer is almost over, but it feels like an oven in LA. Yeah, you see it. It's only just begun, really. (laughs) Yeah, it really does feel like uh, summer has just begun. Not to get bogged down in weather talk, but summers in LA last until October. So uh, we're in for it. And it's supposed to be the hottest one yet. So, you know, uh, is is our planet doomed? Maybe. I don't know. We've read enough dystopias to know where we're headed down right yeah i did manage to get my second booster uh so i'm oh, like congratulations pretty relieved about that you are now well protected in the fight against in your personal personal fight against covid and you know i'm happy for you because there's there's a new variant right there's a new omicron there's, there's a new variant of the variant Yeah, and the current vaccine doesn't protect you from it, but it protects me from regular COVID, like Delta. (laughs) Um, My family got COVID. Uh, My my youngest brother got it, and he's like, I mean, I mean, he he's negative now, but it was it was really bad. Oh no! Yeah, and my dad might have it as well, so I'm just like (laughs) I. Like not taking my chances. I'm going to a concert next week. I was like, I can't. I can't. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you the best of luck as you brave that concert next week. Um, oh yeah. At I, least you're I'm, decked out in the latest um, antivirus armor. So. Yeah, I also have like the strongest mask ever for this concert. It's like <laughs> double fitted. So. <laughs> I'm like, I am not getting COVID. I like if I do, I I will die, like I said. So Mm. fingers crossed that I'll be okay uh, next weekend. Yeah. How about you, Marvin? How have you been? I have been all right. Um, Summer so far has been pretty, um, pretty uneventful. I don't have the second booster. I didn't even know they were giving out second boosters to people. So I need a. No, they're not just. They're not just lie. <laughs> <laughs> it was like almost like the last shot I got was back in November. So I was mm. like, all protection is gone now. <laughs> so I was like, I have to get it no matter what. So if you can get it, just get it. Some pharmacists are cool with it because they just have expired shots on their shelves. Mm. So it helps to check. Yeah. All right. Well. That has been uh, COVID talk from Books and Boba, uh, but we are actually here to talk about books, believe it or not. Um, and as always, Rira has compiled the latest publishing news from Asian and Asian American authors from various sources, including Publishers Weekly and social media. So, um, yeah, let's, should we get started? Yeah, sure. 
Our first book deal is Harper's imprint Alida Books has acquired in a preempt You Are Here Connecting Flights, a middle grade exploration of contemporary Asian American identity told through interwoven stories set in a busy Chicago airport. Written by 12 award-winning and best-selling East and Southeast Asian American authors. And it was edited by We Need Diverse Books co-founder Ellen O. Oh, and uh, created in response to the rise of anti-Asian hate and violence during the pandemic, the book presents stories of hope and affirmation and will help launch the Alita imprint. Uh, the 12 writers are Tracy Chi, Mike Chen, Meredith Ireland, Mike Jung, Erin Entrada Kelly, Min Lei, Grace Lin, Ellen O, oh, Linda Sue Park, Randy Rabai, Christina Suntornvat, and Susan Tan. Publication is slated for winter 2023. Uh, Alida Books is a new imprint that was founded by Linda Sue Park. And it is Alida, it 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 means to spread knowledge or to let people. No. So it's a Korean word that has been romanized. And it's really cool that we have our our own like Asian American imprint at HarperCollins. So victory yeah, for us. I, I love that it is specifically for us and not like a part of a, you know, general diversity, um, I guess, project. Um, not that that's, those aren't important either, but sometimes... When you have someone looking specifically for Asian American stories, we get to have more of them. Um, but I love this idea of centering short stories around an airport because um, I'm sure you're the same way. But a lot of my childhood memories, especially with visiting family, has been around airports. Yeah, I didn't see my family that often in Korea. Like when I was younger, it was definitely more often. But um we just like couldn't afford to fly out every summer. So it was probably like one every two, three years. Uh, but yeah, very familiar with airports. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I immigrated here when I was three years old. So technically. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like been flying since I was a baby. Pretty much. <laughs> and my and my younger brother, he was literally a baby. He was one month old. So yeah, air. <laughs> Airports are a very familiar settings for this diaspora. Yeah. I mean, I feel like when people think about when immigrants come to America, they still think boats for some reason. Um, but most people just come on airports. Even a lot of people that would be considered like undocumented came into the country through airports. Yeah. I mean, we still use the word fob. <laughs> and uh, for Korean Americans, it's the joke is fresh off the piengi and not fresh off the boat. And piengi <laughs> means plane in Korean. So yeah. clever. Uh, but yeah, no, congratulations to Lina Su Park, to Ellen O, to everyone involved in this project. And yeah, looking forward to what else Alita Books will be bringing out. I'm going to keep my eyes on this imprint. Yeah, and there is a couple of familiar names uh, among the 12 writers. Some of them have been on the podcast and some of them we've read their books for book club. So yeah. We know that they are great, talented writers. Very exciting. All right. Next up, Inkyard Press has acquired in an exclusive submission An Yang's I Am Not Jessica Chen. After getting rejected by every Ivy League she applied to, a teenage art student makes a wish to become her enviably perfect cousin, Jessica Chen. 
only to wake up in Jessica's body and discover firsthand the cost of being the model student at an elite cutthroat academy. Publication is slated for summer 2024. It's been a while since uh, we've had like a Freaky Friday situation on our I was about to say, yeah, it, news, it right? does remind me of Freaky Friday. But this Freaky Friday situation I can totally relate to uh, because, I mean, unless you were that person, everyone has a Jessica Chen in their life, right? Everybody had a cousin where <laughs> you were compared to. Um, yeah, I like... Being from a family where like all almost all of my cousins on my dad's side of the family were valedictorians, like one of them is actually like studying to be a rocket scientist, like literally <laughs> wants to work for NASA and has like is working on his PhD. I'm just like, oh, my God, being compared to him and uh, my other cousins who are just like super, super smart. It's it was not fun. But at the same time, like, I was that cousin where, like, on that side of the family, they're just like, oh, why can't you be like Rira? She is, like, fluent in English and is doing this, this, this. I'm like, why? Why do parents do this? Like, (laughs) I mean, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? If you're the STEM cousin, you want to be the art cousin. And if you're the art cousin, you want to be the STEM cousin. Because it seems like everyone loves that person more. (laughs) um, I love that this is, you know, um, the story itself I feel like the beats are pretty, you know, I can kind of picture what the beats are going to be, but because it's just a specific experience that I think a lot of us um, are familiar with, it's going to be really awesome. So I'm excited to see, uh, I'm, I'm excited about the setup um, and excited to learn more. Okay, about- but like the thing, the thing is, <laughs> all right, so Jessica Chen, the cousin, is like the model student at like a private academy, right? But it sounds like the protagonist is, like, pretty smart, too, because considering that she applied to every single Ivy League school, like, you would not do that unless you were, like, pretty good with your grades. I mean, there's nothing stopping so it's not you like this person Ivy is League like schools, though. I mean, you just got to pay the money. They don't need to take you. I think, I mean, we can get into a whole thing about college admissions and how it's just a big scam these days. I mean, there's enough documentaries out there <laughs> where it covers that. But, yeah, I mean... The fact that she's rejected does not mean that she is not worthy. But, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really see that. You just see you just see this thing that's been your goal your entire life and how it's not going to happen. And that that makes you mad and angry and enough to wish to switch bodies with someone who goes to like, I would never like I went to public school. I would never. I could never oh, my God. <laughs> going to I would never academy. be able to survive. <laughs> yeah. Uh-uh, it sounds no like way. a nightmare. But, like, uh. <laughs> as a former art student who, like, applied to, like, a bunch of art colleges plus Ivy League schools, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you applying to Ivy League schools for art programs? They're not that great. Like, actually, if you're halfway decent at art, like, you're, like, if you're halfway decent at art and you have, like, pretty solid grades, I feel like you have a much better chance than, like, regular undecided <laughs> uh, majors. That's true. You know? I mean, where would you go? Like RISD or? Yeah, you go to RISD yeah. or Pratt or um, School of Arts in Chicago or um, FIT. There's like just so many But art here's schools. the thing. I wonder if the story would get this nuanced, but Asian parents don't know what the hell RISD is. No, they do. They do totally they? do. Yeah. I mean, like my, like my parent. Okay. Like we're, we're, we're kind of going off tangent, but like. But your mom um, is an awesome my, art person, though. I mean, like, my 
art school, my art teachers were like gung-ho about me getting into like Ivy League schools. So they were like, there was like a lot of pressure and RISD was my safety school. And I did not get into RISD and everybody was very, very shocked because they were like, like, what the hell? Like your portfolio was really good. But I got accepted into like Pratt and like all the other art schools. But Mm. according to them, they were just like, Oh, but it's like not an Ivy League school. Like you should have got, you should have been able to like get in because of your portfolio. I was waitlisted. Yeah. Obviously this book has touched a nerve. Um, So congratulations uh, Uh, to Ahn for for making us um, relive our past. um, I I never want to go back to high school. Like, (laughs) Like the thought of applying to college again sounds like a nightmare that I like I, I I still get nightmares about like my high school days like yeah especially applying schools now like when applying like I applied to school when we were still using like paper applications that's how old I am oh, really? um, yeah wow. I think only a few like half the schools I applied to like the private ones had online ap- applications so I was able to supplement, submit it online the UCs were still using a universal paper application I would not know. I did not apply to a single <laughs> UC school. I was like, I was like, I'm going to East Coast school. There's no way I'm going to stay in the South. No way I'm going to the West Coast because the East Coast is all cultured. And I did not know what I was thinking. Now I'm just like, I never want to live in the East Coast because it's cold. Uh, okay, well, moving on. What's our next book deal, Marvin? I think it's your turn. No, it's not. Oh, wait. Yeah, you're right. It is my turn. All right. So our next book deal is Quill Tree has acquired North American rights to Shirley Ng Benitez's author-illustrator debut, Down Through Up. A girl struggles with change and rediscovers herself somewhere new while finding ways to connect to the roots of home in this multi-generational picture book honoring sewing, San Francisco, and the threads of heritage that stitch her family together. And the publication is tentatively set for spring 2024. Oh, Down Through Up is talking about sewing. I don't sew. So I have no idea. I was like, Down Through Up. I wish I knew how to sew. I feel like that is a life skill that they fail to teach us in public school. Because I actually actually wrote a tweet like not that long ago saying, I should have taken home economics instead of band because like learning how to play oboe is so useless compared (laughs) to like knowing how to hem your pants and knowing how to cook dinner. This is true. Actually, like when I was younger, um, I went to private school. So I had like a uniform and it like my parents did the thing of like buying a uniform that was too big so that they could like hem the length. So as I grew um like they could lower the hem but my mom doesn't know how to sew but my dad does so my dad like hemmed my skirts and i'm like i'm just like yeah that's a life skill that people should learn and it's a skill that my parents did not teach me and i'm like why (laughs) (laughs) clearly it's useful but why yeah all right our next book deal alita has acquired Secrets, an autobiographical middle-grade graphic novel by debut author-illustrator Cindy Chang. 
Secrets follows sixth grader Cindy, the daughter of Taiwanese immigrants, as she navigates relationships at home, at school, and an unexpected trip to Taiwan. Amid struggling with her parents' taboo separation and family secrets, Cindy seeks to find her artistic style and to use her own voice. Publication is slated for winter 2025. Seems like a book that you can relate to, Marvin. We were just <laughs> talking about summer trips to uh, Taiwan. Um, yeah, I, I love that Alita is also doing graphic novels. Lots of cool projects coming from there, apparently. Um, I think Secrets is just a part of being a kid, and especially being like a part of like an immigrant family. Because there's a lot of things that our parents hide from us in order to, like, quote-unquote, give us a better life because they don't want us to worry, not knowing that those secrets kind of make us worry, right? Also, they have the benefit of, you know, like, all the family members being a diff- in a different country, so you can't even ask other people. This is true. Yeah, I'm excited to see um, more of this when it comes out, um, especially the, you know, seeing a trip to Taiwan in graphic novel form sounds pretty cool. So congrats to Cindy on her deal with Alita. All right, next up, Sourcebooks Jabberwocky have acquired world rights to How This Book Got Read by Margaret Chu Grinias. Uh, the book is about a red panda who finds out that none of her panda books have pandas like her in them, so she decides to write her own book. Uh, Melissa Ui will illustrate, and the publication is set for fall 2023. That's cute. I think it like it's a good follow-up to Churning Red. <laughs> I know, now that everyone knows what red pandas are, it's time to capitalize. I feel like people did know what red pandas were because of Legend of Korra. I've been on record saying that I've never seen an Avatar, The Last Airbender, or its spinoffs, and I still have not. We need to launch that Patreon for us to dive into that if people want really want to watch, see me watch that long series, I guess. Um, it's not that long, to be <laughs> honest. It's like... I think it's like two anime series, like short anime series, not even like it's not like Gundam where it goes on forever. Um, But this book sounds really cute. Uh, It is definitely reminiscent of like BIPOC authors who have to create their own representation in stories. So I think it's going to be really cute. Yeah, it's, it's a good metaphor for like, you know, even let's say Southeast Asian authors reading all of these East Asian stories saying, I'm not in oh, this, yeah. right? Because pandas are not a monolith. There are black and white pandas and there are red pandas. So, you know, gotta represent everybody. Isn't a Gretziko a red panda? I thought I'm she was pretty a fox. Sure. Wasn't she just a fox? No, no, I am pretty sure she's a Gretziko. Hold on. I'm Wikipediaing <laughs> this because I, I need to know. Um, okay, so hold on. Yeah, yeah. Retsuko is a 25-year-old single red panda working in the accounting department. Yep. Oh, All right. So I red pandas. Today. <laughs> yeah, mainstream uh, media. <laughs> um, all right. Our next deal. Delacorte Press has bought Rebecca Lim's Tiger Daughter, a mature middle grade novel about finding your voice amid the pressures of growing up in an immigrant home, told from the perspective of a remarkable Chinese girl. Publication is scheduled for summer 2023. Oh, so it's like Tiger Mother, Tiger Daughter. Yeah, that um, yeah. that title connotes either the daughter of a tiger mom or like a daughter who is like a tiger mom. Because I feel like some, I don't know if you know anybody like this, but I've met people who like give themselves pressure that their parents don't even give them. 
usually through like peer pressure, right? Like, you know, the pressure doesn't come from your own parents, but like the parents of your peers who are like to, to call back to earlier a Jessica Chen type, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I knew a couple of Asian kids in my school who were like super hardcore about like AP classes <laughs> and like getting like all the best scores on their SATs. When they were applying for like college applications, they were like at the brink of a mental breakdown every single time. <laughs> and it's like your parents are pretty cool with it. I don't understand why like <laughs> you're freaking out right now, but it's because they put that pressure on themselves. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It says pressures of growing up in an immigrant home. So I'm guessing that this is like about a daughter who has a tiger mom. Yeah. I mean, that's probably more like Occam's Razor, right? That's probably what it is. I'm just, you know, thinking about tiger daughters and how those people exist too. Um, yeah, they exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a mature middle grade though, I guess that means it's more a serious one, right? It's like less of a, I guess, you know, because growing up, I did read middle grade novels that were what we would call sad times books. And I guess, is that what this is? I feel like middle grade novels, I, I feel like the genre of middle grade didn't really exist. It was, everything was just under children's literature. Mm. So now I feel like middle grade, it's either like packaged in a very like hopeful and uplifting way. <laughs> so they have to say mature in order to like, you know, yeah, to say this is make about people like, understand that it's like, oh, it's not happy times. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Next up, Imagination Press has bought world rights to Frizzy Haired Zuzu by Medea Sharif, and it was illustrated by Basma Hazam. It is a picture book about accepting and loving your appearance, even if others don't. Publication is scheduled for fall 2023. Hair content is always important because I feel like. For, especially for kids, it's like the easiest thing to make fun of someone else for having different hair. Um, I kind of had the opposite uh, issue where like I had like perfectly straight hair and people would constantly say like, oh, your hair is like so shiny and straight. And I'm like, it's not anything to be super proud of. <laughs> but like comparing comparing my hair to like other kids with frizzy hair, curly hair, like those kids never got compliments and it's like always really awkward when you have someone like that in your group and someone is like complimenting you on your feature. Yeah. It's like the same thing in like when you're with other Asian kids and they're like, oh my God, your skin is so pale. Oh, and yeah. you have like, and like you have tan skin and it makes you feel really bad. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think we can blame that on western beauty standards because i think oh no that's definitely an equally Eastern. fucked up yeah yeah um <laughs> but yeah i mean i didn't get as much at school but whenever i went in for a haircut as a kid because my hair is also like straight and pretty thick and i would get a compliment every time i went to like a, an asian barber um saying that oh they wish they had my hair which i mean like with me like the hair on my head yeah it's like thick and like very luscious but um i have hair everywhere like i have hair on my <laughs> arms and like i have to like shave like more frequently than other people and it's like yeah i used to get made fun of that too so it's like you come you get complimented on the hair on your head but also people are like hair is unacceptable in other parts of your body so it's a yeah. mess beauty standards yeah. are we gotta we gotta rethink those Yep, definitely, when it comes to hair. Yep. Um, but yeah, congrats to Badia and Basma on their book um, and fighting the good fight of, you know, 
getting her representation out there because, you know, sometimes it's it's weird, right? Because I feel like a lot of my older friends actually want their hair to be more curly these days. Oh, my dad got a perm. <laughs> like, so he could look like uh, the guy from Boys Over a Flower. Don't so, ask. yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's a it's it's a huge thing. Um, but yeah, I didn't know that uh, Asians could have naturally curly hair until I saw Sandra. Oh, and I was like, <laughs> oh, wow. Like that. That's natural. Like she didn't get a perm for that. That's like awesome. But I'm sure growing up, she probably got like a couple comments about oh, it. She probably got auntied hard like every time she went to like a, a family thing. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Pour one out for everyone who's ever had to deal with that, which is everybody. Um, next up, Union Square Kids has bought in a preempt author-illustrator Pam Fong's picture book, Hedgehog and the Log, about a hedgehog who finds a way to move forward and rebuild when his house falls apart. Publication is scheduled for fall 2023. What does it say about me that every time someone says hedgehog, I immediately think of Sonic? Oh, Same. Our brains are broken because of pop culture, um, because hedge, like real hedgehogs are just like they're really round cute, and round. Real hedgehogs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This sounds really cute. Hedgehogs are very cute. Uh, hedgehogs building houses probably very cute as well. And you know, we all we always need some stories about perseverance and not giving up. So, yeah, congrats. I don't upon. even know. Like, are hedgehogs like? beavers where their houses are made of sticks i don't know like what their natural habitat is. i have no idea neither um the only hedgehogs, the only hedgehogs I i've see... met are like pets yeah that I've, you like yeah bu- yeah in cages i've only seen them so. in like instagram posts of them like scurrying around the living room so actually i have no idea yeah yeah maybe we'll learn all right so our last book deal is harper collins quill tree have bought four novels by Newbery Honor author Rajani LaRocca. The deal includes The Sound of Magic, a middle-grade fantasy about a girl who battles the lasting effects of colonialism and greed to save her homeland, and the publication is set for winter 2024. The second book, Nothing But the Truth, is a TA reimagining of Sita's story from the Ramayana, and the publication is set for 2025. The third book, Mystery Party, is a middle-grade novel in which six middle schoolers are invited to a reclusive billionaire's mansion, but must solve the mystery of his unexpected disappearance. The publication is set for 2026. And the final book, Chemistry Lessons, is a YA rom-com inspired by Jane Austen's Emma that explores the true nature of beauty. And the publication is set for 2027. Wow, four books. Yeah, get your coin, Rajani. Yeah. Congratulations. That is that is amazing. And, you know, it's cool that all of these stories are... Very different. Yeah. Like, different genres. Like, fantasy, contemporary, like, YA. I'm particularly interested in the... Uh, in Mystery Party, where, like, the group of middle schoolers are at, like, a clue mansion. And they have to figure <laughs> out a mystery... It sounds very uh, Scooby-Doo, and I love it. So, Yeah, no, I'm impressed. I'm always impressed when an author is able to write in so many different genres. Uh, for me, it's The Sound of Magic sounds really cool. You know you know me and fantasy battles against colonialism. <laughs> and also the, um, yeah. the Emma one sounds interesting, too. Um, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of Emma ad- adaptions recently. Um, like before, it was like a lot of Pride and Prejudice, and now I'm, I'm seeing like more more Emma adaptations. And I wonder if it's because of uh, the most recent movie adaptation 
of Emma. It could be. I mean, I feel like Emma is like the archetype for like the mean girls, right? Like stereotype. Well, not really the mean girl, but like definitely the popular girl who like thinks that she knows everything <laughs> and is like constantly thinking that, you know, their opinion is is always right. That's so. true. And I mean, yeah. unlike Pride and Prejudice, you can do an Emma that doesn't have like a romance in it. But you can't do true, a Pride and Prejudice true. without a romance, right? So... I do want to see more adaptations of Persuasion uh, because... The Netflix one just came, is coming out um, the yeah, day Yeah, but it's not this. good. It's not good. <laughs> I don't think... Um, I don't, do we want to get into Persuasion talk no, on this, but on this I, podcast? But like with Persuasion, it like I like having a bitter female character, so... Yeah, I think that's one... That's one story that probably didn't need to be emified, but, you know... yeah. Yeah. Well, we can't all get what we want. And a lot of the times adaptations can be lacking if they don't take like a route where they try to make it their own. Sometimes it backfires. But you know who can get everything they want? Rajani LaRocca, who got horrible <laughs> deals. So congratulations. Yay. Yeah. We love to see it. <laughs> All right. All right, so that is a wrap for our book deals. We have a couple of um, brief book news that we can go over. So the first piece of news is that the 100th Newbery uh, Medal, Caldico and Legacy Banquet, was held on June 26th uh, in D.C., and it was a live event, so a lot of um, amazing authors were able to make it. And I'm just going to go over um, our Asian-American authors who got their uh, prizes. So illustrator Jason Chen, he won the Caldico Medal for Watercrest, which was written by Andrea Wang, who we've had on this show. Yeah, yeah. and she received a Newbery Honor for the book. And then uh, Grace Lin won the 2022 Children's Literature Legacy Award and Grace Lynn is OG. Like, she's been around for a very long time. Uh, her works include The Ugly Vegetables, uh, which was published in 1999, The Year of the Dog, Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, and Big Mooncake for Little Star, which won the Caldico honor um, back in 2019. So she had this amazing speech. And if you can go find it on YouTube or um, the... Uh, the Newberry site, that would be great. But I'm just going to read an excerpt from her speech because I think, like, I think it was, like, really, uh, it, it really strikes home if you're Asian American. So, our country is so used to seeing Asians as caricatures or sidekicks, as non-existent or exactly the same, and almost always as a foreign other. Asian Americans have paid a steep price for the otherness throughout history and today. From the Chinese Exclusion Act to Japanese-American internment to the recent violent anti-Asian attacks, to be seen as a foreign other, whether consciously or unconsciously, is harmful. It is demeaning and, it is demeaning and damaging for our children, for everyone. So for the past 24 years, I have deliberately created children's books showing that Asians are not other, that Asians are people, that Asians are people who have best friends, who have families, who have holidays, and who eat at restaurants. 
that Asian people have myths and delicacies and jokes and love. Creating these books, these books that show how human we all are, has been my life's work. Sometimes I admit I did this work with resentment. Other times I did it with pride. But I have always done it with conviction. From books ranging from gardening to flying dragons, from dumplings to moon phases, my message has always been the same. We are your classmates. We are your friends. We are your families. We are you. And none of us needs to prove that we are good enough to exist. None of us needs to earn our acceptance here. Snap. Word. Snap, snap. Yeah. That's great. I feel like that is um, every time we do a picture book about culture, that is what we meant to say. So um, retroactively, that's that's what we meant to say for all, all those books. You know, like Grace Lynn, like The Year of the Dog isn't the only like Zodiac book that she wrote. She, I, think, I think she wrote like a Zodiac book for each animal. And every time I look up Lunar New Year books, like <laughs> her books are at the very top of um, of my picks. So, yeah. And, you know, like you said, she is an OG. And there's something to be said about those um, forerunners who started writing before anyone else that they wrote these stories and they put these stories together because they felt like they had to, because they needed to. And sometimes that is, you know, both of us have worked in community organizing. Both of us have worked in, you know, community-focused organizations. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes you do get a little angry that like... That we have to do the work. You feel like you have to do the work because no one else is willing or has a chance right now. So you you have to do it so that other people can follow. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, well, congrats to all the winners. Like, it's always great to see Asian Americans and Asians win these like prestigious book awards. Um, another award that I wanted to bring up was uh, Fonda Lee, um, maybe unsurprisingly at this point, won the Locus Award for Best Fantasy Novel uh, for Jade Legacy. I feel like she won that award like every single time <laughs> a, a Jade Legacy book came out. I mean, yeah. as she should. I know. It's the best book out there. Oh, but there was recent news that Jade Legacy, uh, which was picked up by Peacock a couple of, um, is it a couple of years ago now? Like two years ago? Yeah, Jade City was optioned to Peacock as a potential television series. And yeah, they dropped it, right? Yeah, they dropped it recently. Which is a huge bummer. But also, Peacock, we don't have to... uh, get a subscription for it that's true i mean it's a bummer but also i'm just like please like hbo max hulu someone please pick it up i'm hoping this will go the path of like fire island which originally was quibi and went to hulu afterwards like i just you know let's it's such a great story and whoever picks it up is gonna have like a hit on their hands so you know um still holding out hope um that it's gonna happen all right, our next piece of news. Uh, recently, authors have been protesting Amazon's ebook policy, which allows readers to return their books after a certain number of time. Uh, we got the source from NPR, and uh, the story goes earlier this month, Lisa Keller, a paranormal romance author, logged into like Kindle Direct Publishing to check her earnings from the previous month, and she actually had a negative earnings balance. And the reason for that was because her book got returned on Kindle. And this has kind of like started a conversation on Twitter about like uh, pirating books and also like what is the right way for royalties to be paid to authors for ebooks and also, you know, spreading awareness that, you know, you can rent 
ebooks online through libraries like that exists. And um, yeah, I just, why would you do this? Like, why would you return an ebook after you read it? Like, I, I mean, I can't imagine doing it because I've worked in retail and consumer products. So I like I have a sense of, uh, I guess, honor to my former profession to like not be that person. But I know plenty of people who still like torrent all of their TV shows. And I mean, people are cheap and if they can get something for free, they will. And, you know, there's like whole websites dedicated to But the thing is, there are cheaper free ways to do this. And, (laughs) you know, like I understand if you like bought an ebook and it turns out to be like freaking terrible. I feel like they're like I feel like it's understandable if you read like less than 50% of the book and you're just like, you know what? This this book is not good. I'm going to return it. I can totally understand that. But like people who finish the book and then return it, I mean, to like I'm not an author, but it must be very you know, dispiriting seeing your sales and then like going back and checking and seeing that like you like people returned your book and you're not going to make any royalties off it. I mean, I think the real story here is also the these deal structures, right? Like self-publishing is kind of the wild west and it seems like the way that Amazon has set it up, all the costs are passed to the author. So the, the authors actually carry the risk, right? Like uh, Amazon's doing the the tech thing saying, oh, we're just a marketplace. We can't control what our customers do. And so we can't offer protections, right? Because, you know, the fact that self-publishing is basically you take on the risk of selling to order. And on one hand, yeah, the consumer behavior is pretty, like that's pretty shitty. But at the same time, it is it is the marketplace that allows this to happen. And so, you know, Amazon still makes money on each transaction. So honestly, the only people being hurt by this is are the authors, right? Well, also, like, people saying, like, oh, I can't, like, books should be free because, you know, like, it's, like, educational and it's not fair because, you know, people with money, is they're able to um, access all these books. And I'm like, yeah, but but also, like, you're stealing money from creators and that's not okay in my personal opinion. I mean, yeah, like, books are, like, library books are free, right? But not really. Library books are subsidized by the government. The government buys those books and puts it in the library so that you can read it, right? So, like, we live in a capitalist society. Nothing is ever free. If you think something is free, you're being charged somewhere else. Someone else is paying for you. So, what you're actually saying when you say that is you want someone to buy this book for you. And by doing this to authors, you're saying not only does the author not deserve to be compensated for the time they spent writing this book, they should also pay for me to read their work. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I can understand because of like a lot of libraries and, uh, you know, poorly funded areas, of course, they won't be able to buy like new books right away. And um you know, with like book bans as well, school libraries are not getting certain types of books into their inventory. So yeah, there are obstacles, but yeah, one way look at why why are library digital copies like limited in number? It, it has something to do with licensing. Well, yeah, so, but at the same time, yeah. yeah, like you know, there is this there's a scarcity that's very man made, and it all comes down to money and 
Like it's much more complicated than consumers being shitty. It's consumers being shitty, companies being shitty, <laughs> like just society being just a like late stage capitalism just being the shit show that it is, right? I mean, like what I when I say like pirating is bad and like people should shouldn't steal from creators, like Obviously, I understand that like people without funds, like obviously, like if they're torrenting as like a last result, like I it's a little bit more understandable. But what I can't stand are like people who clearly have money, but they're going online and getting PDF versions of books that they really want to read, but they can't wait for the library to to have it or they just like don't want to pay for it. And I'm like, why? You have, you're an adult. You have a job. Why are you not paying for this book that you want to read? It's really, I don't know. The fact that art is seen as so cheap when like some authors have spent years writing this book and it goes for like visual art too. Like people who work so hard in painting and like posting their work on like Instagram and trying to like sell prints and then just seeing people just steal that and like reposting it elsewhere or printing it on their own it's like people see art as like such a yeah. cheap labor and I think that's like another thing that's another conversation but so moving on TikTok announced that it is partnering with Barnes Noble to connect new book releases with the book talk community. Uh, customers will be able to scan a QR code at the store and it will take them to a dedicated hub that features videos from popular book talk creators. Uh, the source was pulled from NBC News and wow, book talk. What a what a hot topic on book Twitter lately. <laughs> I am not familiar with the TikTok. I mean, I am an old. Okay, so, so like recently, for, for those of you who have missed the most recent book talk drama. So a book editor recently said um, how like book talk is influencing the way uh, publishers and editors are acquiring books. And, you know, there's this question of, you know, like, will quiet books without big concepts be able to get the same level of marketing as something that is, like, very uh, popular in subject? And TikTok, obviously, is biased. And it's biased towards cis, straight, white creators who happen to be conventionally attractive. So, obviously, a lot of the books that get marketed kind of fall into those categories and it's just like a question of you know like when you see books that are promoted on book talk and people are saying this is an underrated book but in reality it's getting all of the mainstream push because they have a, a pretty big marketing budget so like so there's been like a lot of conversation about that on book twitter and I don't know, like I've kind of lingered on book talk a bit and it's sometimes it's very frustrating because <laughs> people will recommend books that are already like New York Times bestsellers or um, just books that are not good in my opinion. And I'm like, <laughs> why is this book getting so much publicity when it's not good? And it's just very frustrating. 
as I mean, someone yeah. who is Asian American and wants to see more BIPOC books being recommended. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not very familiar with TikTok or BookTok in general, but I have noticed like some of the book influencers and media influencers in general. It seems like these like cycles center around the same books. Like every influencer is always pushing the same thing at the same time, and you no, know, I I get it. That is the that's how you get your views right to get like locked into the algorithm. Is you have to be promoting what the popular people are promoting. So when people browse, you're the next video up. But <laughs> at the same time, yeah. Okay, like the thing is, like when I go to Barnes Noble because I've seen these TikTok tables. Like they have like these displays of like what is popular on BookTok, and I see Akatar in that pile, and I'm like, this. This series is a New York Times bestseller. It has like thousands of reviews on Goodreads. And personally, I'm not like a big fan of it. Also, it's like pretty horny. So having like young readers pick it up as well, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. I just felt feel kind of, mm. but I look at that table and display and it's mostly white authors. And it is so infuriating because <laughs> like, now, when you look at award-winning books, it, it they there are like more diverse books that are doing really well, and the fact that they're not getting as much attention, like I said, it's very infuriating. And right, the algorithm unless, obviously unless it's the book about people of color written by a white woman. Oh God, those are the worst. It's like the fucking worst. Just obviously, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, I guess I guess we're technically book influencers, and that's why we have this podcast because we want to, you know, support Asian American authors against the machine. But- We've been getting some feedback saying people have actually been reading some of our book picks, um, like older ones too. Which you know, it's wild, but I'm glad to see that we're influencing somebody. It's been interesting because uh, we've had some authors reach out to us, like you know, like months later and being like, oh, I met someone at my book signing who said they found out about my book because they listened to your episode. And I'm like, that is so weird. Yeah. But I, I guess we're technically book fluencers, Marvin. I guess, but we're not the... Even though we don't do a good job on social media. <laughs> well, we're not a slave to the algorithm. And also, That's true. you That's and true. I are bad at social media. So <laughs> It's just, I, I don't want to play the game. <laughs> That's the thing. We're too cool. We're like, we're. I'm anti culture, <laughs> Counterculture social media. <laughs> yeah. I'm very, very old school. If there's a book that I really want people to read, I just buy people copies or I just like give them my copy. Or you make me read it on this book club. Yeah, that's true. I do. I like my, my <laughs> way of spreading my love for books is bullying other people <laughs> to read them. And guess what? It's very effective. It is very. No. <laughs> I, I appreciate your uh, your bullying. This is the only time I'll ever condone bullying is when you bully me to read. Yeah. <laughs> or when I go to like little libraries and I just stuff my books into those libraries and take out all of the really bad books, <laughs> all of the really bad books in in like their uh, little library. I'm like, One of my neighbors actually built a books. tiny library on my block. So I actually put in a couple of the Asian American books that I've read in there. Spreading the Asian, Asian American book gospel. That's that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> the gospel. Wow. Uh, Sounds super arrogant. Uh, 
oh, on that note. Um, that'll do it for this edition of the Books and Boba mid-month update. Um, we re- as always, thanks for compiling all of our book and publishing news. Um, please, Thank you for bearing with all of my angry rants. That's <laughs> what people... Honestly, I feel like it's what people come on this podcast for. Um, I'm, just, I'm equivalent to like the grouchy old uh, English teacher who is just like, you know, very dissatisfied with the world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's growing up, right? Just becoming, just becoming cynical husks of ourselves. Um, true. But I mean, I was already cynical when I was younger. So, like, the fact that I'm, like, even more cynical now is, is just... <laughs> At least we have our why. books. Um, At least we do have our books. <laughs> and we do like the books that we read. Yeah. Speaking of books that we read, our July book club pick for those of you who have not started our july book club pick is before the coffee gets cold by toshikazu kawaguchi it is a very short book and it is a book that has been translated uh from japanese by jeffrey trisalot and it's about a cafe in a back alley in tokyo that offers coffee that allows you to travel back in time And your trip only lasts as long as the coffee is hot. So you have to return before the coffee gets cold. And the book follows four patrons. So it is a pretty lighthearted book. Um, Even though it's time travel, it's very slice of life. So don't expect a lot of time travel theories. It's not Steins Gate. So... (laughs) If I were them, I would put that coffee into a Zojirushi insulated mug and then I'll just hang on the pass for longer. All right. Well, if you've read the book as well, um, please leave us a comment on our Goodreads forums. That way we can include your feedback in our discussion. Um, but with that, thanks for joining us on this episode of Books and Boba. As always, um, for before I forget, you can find um, the books that we cover through our author interviews or our book club. Uh, by going to our Books and Boba bookshop. Um, we do run an online bookstore and um, purchasing books on our bookshop does support both the podcast as well as your local bookstores as well. So we do appreciate everyone who has bought a book from us before. You can find a link to our bookstore by going to booksandboba.com. And yeah, that'll do it. Um, thanks for listening and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. 
We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.